The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Carl, thanks so much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour. Too narrow or no big deal? That is the debate right now as the mega cap tech stocks continue to carry this market higher. The Investment Committee weighing in and trading this week ahead. It's a big one. Joining me for the hour, Joe Terranova, Amy Raskin, Surat Sethi, and Steve Weiss. Let's check the markets. We are lower today, uh, sharply so. Dow's the biggest loser, as you see, down near 1%. We have uh, yields moving higher, too. You can take a look at the 10-year. So, you know, Joe, Chair Powell on 60 Minutes underscores they're going to be patient before they cut. You had some strong data this morning, too. So, you know, good news is good news. I think we've kind of moved to that, but really good news may not be so good. And we're going to have to figure out what's what as we have this still, you know, bifurcated market. Mega cap doing a lot of work, a lot of other stuff, yes. not so much. And you continue to look at a 10-year treasury, which trades to 417 uh, right before we come on air. 419 on January 19th is the high for the year. But, but you really cite what's problematic for investors because it, it goes back to the root of how are you investing in the market? So if, if you're just owning an S&P index fund, okay, you did fine in 2023, and the mega cap outperformance X Tesla so far in 2024, you're doing fine as well. But if you are not utilizing that strategy, so for the formation, the composition of year-to-date year -date performance is troubling. If you look at the S&P 500, more than half the S&P 500 has negative year-to-date performance. Tesla is down 28% year-to-date. That's the worst performing stock. But there's only about 150 names in the S&P 500 that are actually outperforming the index overall. And then you turn and you look at the S&P Equalate, which is down uh, nearly 1% today. And let's, I mean, I, I don't even want to talk about small caps. I mean, small caps, it's yeah, Russell, absolutely abysmal. They're Russell's down, getting uh, run over. Down 5% again. What is, what's time. the message in that? Down, uh, you know, down, down substantially. You know, Amy, the mega cap year-to-date performance is already off the chart. Yep. Growth versus value is not even close at yep. this point. Growth year-to-date is up 6.5%. S&P value is up, up 1%. Is this how it's just going to be? Here we go again. Where's the broadening? It's it's not happening. Um, it could be where we're going to be for a little while. This is a story-driven market. This is an AI story-driven market. When I heard Caterpillar this morning talking about their earnings and mentioning AI and data center bills being the strongest demand, when mm -hmm. Caterpillar starting to talk about AI, you know this is a story-driven market. And it can't be disproven, at least for a few quarters. I thought the story-driven so market, though, included the soft landings part of the story. Therefore, well, you're going to get is, the broadening. Where is it? Right. I think this is now an AI-driven story market. Um, I do think the, the soft landing story is still part of it, it and, and the economic data is coming in better than expected. Now people are going to start to worry about we're not going to get the rate cuts. 
Um, but this this is a continuation of last year. I mean, last year at this time, we were talking about higher for longer rates. And, you know, you had, again, the January pop in the employment num- at, in the employment w- report, and that set up for a great 2023. I do think the difference for 2024 is now you have tough compares. In 2023, you had really easy compares for the mega cap companies because 2022 was a abysmal year. Now you're comparing against much harder numbers um, and going into 2024. So I do think the setup is harder, but we're trying to disprove something that we're not going to be able to disprove for a little while. So, Rod, so, Joe, Joe, yeah. Joe is po- points out what Ed Yardeni's talking about, how the MAG-7 once again in Ed's words, sucking all the air out of the universe. And by the way, he suggested it's rational exuberance what's happening because that's where the action is both on, and I'll give you more details in a minute on this, but where sort of quality earnings are and sales growth, that's where it is, yeah. where the money is. And, and to Amy's point, right now you can't fight the tape, and that's where the tape is going. And the other thing that's happening is that, like you said, you know, it, everything's getting sucked out. Well, people are also keeping money in cash because as the Fed said, we're not going to cut rates, you're still getting 5% in treasuries. So it's not like you're getting 0% sitting in cash. You can get 5% basically given to you, guaranteed. And in the meantime, you can be in these. So the barbell has now become a fixed income strategy and growth. Meanwhile, the other kind of view is if this is going to be hard landing, why do I want to be in the cyclicals? Here's the problem. And, you know, a lot of investors learned this the hard way last year. Some of whom who are on this program who are not here today, but whatever. Um, You can be directionally right and tactically wrong. You can call everything right and you can be in the wrong stocks. And I'm wondering if we're setting up once again for that kind of market, at least in the early part of the year, it would appear as such. What do you think? I mentioned it the first week and and everyone criticized me for mentioning it. It, You should have had in the first several days of January, strong capital inflows to the lagging areas of the market. The areas of the market that underperformed in 2023 should have been rewarded with capital. You didn't see that. That's telling you something about what the market is gravitating towards. And the reason that the market wants to own these mega cap companies is because the revenue growth is there. It's visible. It's there. They could see it. It's not the hope the dream that potentially revenue growth will accelerate in the broadening out of the market. We're just not witnessing that right now. Look, I've said financials to me are the sleeper sector year to date. I've cited, you know, a technical breakout in in, in, in city and, and looking at all of that and then saying, well, is there fundamentals to support what I'm suggesting? No, there's not. The fundamentals for, for the banks were, were lousy. Let's face it. Earnings weren't good. So. Weiss, we have we have two issues. Um, I mentioned these, you know, higher quality earnings from tech justifying the moves. That's number one in which Ray J is writing about today, which says this narrowness is backed up in earnings with the Mag 7 putting up year on year EPS growth of 61 percent, while the rest of the S&P is down 9 percent year over year with mid and small cap earnings down 8 to 16 percent. And then you go to sales growth. Well, they have the mega caps have better sales growth than everybody else, too. Mag 7 sales growth for the fourth quarter year over year is 14 percent. The S&P 493 is 2 percent. So if you want higher quality earnings, you want higher quality revenue growth. Where else are you going to go? Exactly. And if you want great balance sheet, uh, where are you going to go? If you want names that you know, 
and names that you're comfortable owning. And if you're an institutional investor that you don't, you know, you don't have to answer the question, why don't I own Meta? Why don't I own Microsoft? You know, so it all lines up. Plus, you know, as I believe the, uh, you know, the people that invest in the market as the age is ratcheted down, they're going to be more tech focused. So it's not really a surprise to me that the mega caps continue to perform. I said at the beginning of the year, I said at the end of last year. However, I do think we're in a period where the market does have to pause, including the large cap tech. And forget about today. I mean, you've got Meta down 2.5%. After the monster move on Friday, that is nothing. Uh, but nonetheless, I just don't see. I think it's irrational at this point for them to keep making the moves they have made. But I don't necessarily see for the numbers that you cited in terms of the growth to go into areas where it doesn't matter. So the market continues. Take a look at CAT. The chart before today was a tremendous chart. So it's either a momentum-driven equity or it's not. And if you've got the momentum, you'll do well regardless of valuation. So it's more focused on execution and momentum and share price than it is right now on valuation. I don't see that changing anytime soon. What do we do, Amy, with, with this issue that, I mean, I just gave you two right. of the most critical reasons why tech leads and some suggest will continue to do so. Higher quality earnings, better revenue growth. What else do you want out of the market? In other words, what would get you to switch to lagging, lagging areas of the market? Being, what would get me to switch to being overweight the mega cap seven? No, oh, no, because no. I'm like, not rotate. overweight. The, <laughs> like, I don't mean you. I don't mean <laughs> so much you Sorry. specifically, yeah. but investors to make a more meaningful move, expecting a broadening that's not happening. Well, I think you, you have to bifurcate between retail investors who are actively buying, or from the data flows, it looks like they're actively buying the mega cap seven, and are, and are very overweight the mega cap seven. Institutional investors are not, and I do think that's that's a concern because typically. Um, retail investors don't always make the best decisions, if, particularly before a turn. So I think the numbers are compelling that you're giving. A lot of that is being driven by one stock, which is NVIDIA, whose revenue and earnings are just off the charts. The other companies, for the most part, are really big companies that I don't think can separate from the economy for, for a long period of time. Well, I mean, they're just, they're just you, too big. But you said if it right. was an AI-driven thing, well, you left out right. Meta, for, you left out Microsoft. For, for a while, Alphabet. I think it can work, but eventually you're not going to have just a small group of companies work and everything else not work, especially if we get the productivity benefits that they're talking about. From, from AI. So I do think that will usher in and, and help a lot of other companies. Adam Parker, Surat, today says the case to be bullish on U.S. equities without owning the MAG-7 continues to be feeble. Large cap growth stocks in the U.S. might look expensive versus history, but they are not relatively expensive. This goes back to the argument that people have been making as to why you should be concerned about the mega cap names. And you heard it a lot into earnings. Well, because the valuations are stretched. We've cited on numerous occasions current valuation forward relative to 10-year historical average, where in some cases it was from a 23 to a 33 for like a Microsoft. Uh, it doesn't seem to matter. It doesn't until, matter. Until, in until the maybe it does. Until right. it does in the short term. And, and I will go back to, and you know, it's the valuation is not just PE, it's discounted cash flow. It's to say, can you maintain these growth rates at 
400, 300 billion dollars of revenue three, five years down. And, and if you start looking at that saying, hey, at some point, if you get any type of slowdown, and Scott, we've seen this with great companies before, and I'm not calling it whether it's going to happen this quarter or not. What I'm saying is you can still be in it, but then look at the other areas of the market, to Joe's point, that are good, solid companies that are extremely undervalued at this point. Their time will come. Don't know when it is, but when it does, you want to be diversified and you want to have prudent risk management. What if it doesn't? And here's what Barron's is talking about, Joe. What if it doesn't and then you start to get cracks at the highest floors of, of the market, right? Because Barron's says, you know, the stock market heads for a new high. Its foundation is starting to crack. Can something pick up the baton from the big tech? stocks or, or will Amazon and Meta have to continue to do the heavy lifting, they say? All points to a market that might be more fragile than it looks. So you're, you're, you're suggesting what if these mega caps uh, begin to pause or, or even begin to correct? Yeah, and the other stocks. Market's going down. Don't pick up the slack. No, 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 don't, even, don't even finish the sentence. The market's going down. I mean, plain and simple. Um, the, these companies, in my opinion, had their quote unquote bear market in the fall of 2022. And now you've got the evolution of a new bull market. The other thing I don't think we're focusing on is the amount of buybacks that these companies are going to be implementing over the coming year. And that's going to add support underneath the market. So I don't know. How is the non-discretionary capital that continues to dominate the overall market structure and pouring in billions of dollars into these companies, what is going to motivate that capital to move away from them in mm -hmm. into the other areas of the market where the revenue growth isn't as strong, the buyback isn't as strong, and certainly, okay, the momentum's not as strong. Why you kind of allude to this about the foundation of the market? Uh, maybe it's more fragile than people want to admit it is, or as we asked at the top, when we say, you know, too narrow, or is it no big deal? Maybe it's just no big deal. I don't know, you know? I guess we'll find out one day yep. whether it mattered or not. Well, this sounds like the conversation that we had most of last year, which is that, you know, it's, it's the MAG-7 that are leading the market and the equal weighted index is flat to down a couple of percent to up a couple of percent. So it hasn't changed. Basically, the market's just ignoring the fact that the calendar turned to 2024. So it's really more the same. I'm not worried about the market right now in terms of it being underneath the MAG-7 being sort of punk because, you know, I think we're delaying what typically happens. So typically the markets respond to an easing about a year ahead of time, at least six months ahead of time. So now is when it should really start going. Um, look, everything we're hearing from Powell shouldn't be a surprise to anybody, um, but the market is taking it as a surprise because those stocks that are below those, you know, the nifty seven, we used to have a nifty 50, to give you perspective as to seeing how this has happened in history before, uh, just aren't working. I would just say be patient, but the market is, again, it's a momentum-driven market. So that's all bets off everywhere else. Well, you bet, you bought, you, you talked about Caterpillar, which was higher today after its earnings. You bought Archer yeah. Daniels. Now you, you say it's for a trade, whatever that means, but I mean, you bought it at any rate. Yeah, so it's sort of a unique situation. It's, it's somewhat speculative. But the stock came down. It was trending down slightly because because uh, crushing margins are declining soybeans, and that's uh, you know that story's out there. But then when they announced that they're 
putting their CFO on leave and there are some counting irregularities in a relatively small part of the business, I've been watching it, waiting for an opportunity to get into their trade. I've been in these situations before. They never, they never play out as quickly as you'd like. But right now, if, it, if the company, I have to imagine the company is responsible in saying that, hey, we don't see this changing our guidance or anything like that even though they were supposed to report today and they didn't because they've got this accounting issue, then look, then it's a cheap stock. Uh, it's not really my kind of stock because it's commodity based, but I think there's an opportunity there for this to go back to the old highs of 80 bucks. Whereas the risk is only if the company, the board acted irresponsibly and saying we've got a grip on this and what the risk is from this accounting issue. So that's why I bought it. You, you own Caterpillar. I mean, I mentioned that you want to comment on it, on the earnings. It was best Dow stock today and otherwise rough tape. Industrial week, but yet transportation and energy was very, very strong. By the way, energy being very strong, that, that's confirmation that we're seeing a surge in production, and that's the headwind for spot oil prices to move higher. Uh, but the demand, the demand from, from dealer, dealer inventory is at such a low level for Caterpillar machines, there's the evidence that the demand is very strong uh, for Caterpillar machinery. So I think it's idiosyncratic. I don't think you could look at it and say to yourself, okay, overall, while I believe the industrial sector and we're overweight, significantly overweight the industrial sector, but it really is idiosyncratic, I think, this outperformance to Caterpillar itself. They are really just executing incredibly well. It doesn't sound, if you go back to this idea of, you know, that we pose at the top of whether you know, good news is good news, but Amy, really good news may not be good right, news right. because of the implications that it may have on, on inflation being stickier or reemerging or whatever. It doesn't feel like if you watch the Fed chair last night on 60 that um, he's really concerned about that. He, I think, uh, feels like this strong economy is just a really good insurance policy that they have in their pocket. So it allows them to be more cautious about when that first cut comes. But cuts are coming. Right. And isn't that what supersedes when it actually happens? So it's not going to be March. Does that really matter? No. And I think that's right. I think he's very happy with where the economy's going. We've gotten a flurry of stronger economic data over the last couple of weeks. I think he's happy about it. I think it's actually good for the markets and for this. It keeps us going for a little while longer um, until you know the next data points. It's also a continuation of what we saw last year. This was, again, economic data kept surprising on the upside and um, it kept the market going. So until that changes, again, that's probably the, that's the market that we're in. It goes back to the heat. Clearly, the Fed chair feels like when he cuts for the first time, it's going to be because he can, right. not because he has to. Right. Isn't that what matters more to the market than literally anything else? Yes. And I think it's credibility at this point. He does not want to cut until you see the real data because we've already gone through the period where they raised a little too late. So I think, you know, if you cut and you get inflation, to your point, sticky, He's really in a quandary at that point. And, and I think you've got to be careful, especially with the economic data being so strong as it is. That supports him. It gives him the tailwind to be in the position. And now the market, which had already discounted all these cuts, is kind of backtracking. So where does capital go? Let's go to the winners. I'm sure that the, the bulk of the Fed speakers this week, and there are many, and Bostic, I think, is the first of, of that bunch, cohort, or whoever that's going to come out and, and talk is going to be out there talking about just that. Yes. That, yeah, we... We're going to cut this year, but 
probably not going to be March. And so what? The economy has given us the opportunity to take that extra step and see more data. You're going to get a lot more data before the next you know, decision anyway. There's no meeting in, uh, in weeks. It's in March. Yeah, from my perspective, what's most important is that the Federal Reserve is no longer adversarial. When, when they cut, I, I don't think that's as significant as we thought it was going to be. They're going to cut at some point. I agree with you. They're going to cut because they can. But even if they don't cut in March, they're not adversarial. Because some people say they should cut now. No, that, they're that, not adversarial. They're not the, adversarial. The inflation data has already right. proven that, I, I, that they, should, they should cut now. What, they're too restrictive what, for where inflation is. Look, they're, they're thinking about thinking about cutting and they're thinking about thinking about pausing quantitative tightening that's not adversarial adversarial is four consecutive 75 basis point rate hikes in a six-month period that's adversarial they're not i think we just have to understand that's the environment for 2024 what i understand then is if that's the case as you lay it out Mm -hmm. so clearly then why these other areas of the market that would be so susceptible okay uh, uh aren't Reacting. Because I think we've made a mistake the last several years in understanding where the real cyclicality is when the economy begins to accelerate. Um, semiconductors, to me, are the first place we need to look in the future. I think we need to understand how important semiconductors are, and there's a cyclical effect to when the economy begins to accelerate. Semiconductors were first into the quote-unquote earnings recession. They were the first out. And if you look at, again, you want to call them the AI5, whatever we're calling them, these mega caps are so critically important to the consumer. Consumer capital is going into the direction, the utilization of whether it's Meta's platform, Amazon's platform, Apple products, the consumer wants those products. So I, I think in the last several years, we probably have not given enough credit and emphasis to the importance of these companies in the economy itself. I understand there's other components of the economy, but the real effect in the stock market is on the performance of these companies correlated to consumer and enterprise activity. All right. So let's do this. Let's let's take a quick break. Um, it's not all red uh, across the board. Uh, I've got Uber higher on my screen. It's going to report earnings in a couple of days. There's a bullish call on it, too, and we have plenty of ownership on it on the desk. We have many trades ahead, too, on a number of individual names. Estee Lauder will do some on semi and uh, and many more when we come back. Are you following the Halftime Report podcast? What are you waiting for? Look for us in your favorite podcasting app. Follow the Halftime Podcast now. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Edinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.
Record high today for Uber. Welcome back. Let's talk about it because Bernstein says there are plenty of reasons to still like this stock, and that's even after a banner year. So we have a lot of ownership. Weiss, Weiss I'm going to give you the first crack on this. It has earnings on Wednesday. Sure. Um, Gerstner was just on. Brad Gerstner, of course, one of his top holdings, still loves it. Uh, Bernstein says, we think it's quite feasible for Uber to return 50 to 75 percent of its cumulative free cash flow over the next three years. As we mentioned, to underscore record high today. Well, here's the issue. When you have a CEO that's done what Dara has done, you set the bar higher and higher with each successive quarterly report. And that's what he's done here. So he leaves himself a little margin for error. What I'm looking for when he reports is how are you going to allocate capital between the businesses that are working and some that aren't like freight? But I'm also going to be looking for insight into the consumer and business spending as well. So I own it. I own it because there's scarcity value, because the CEO is phenomenal. And mm-hmm. I would expect nothing less than another good quarter. The last quarter, by the way, was, was not what the market was looking for, but man, did the stock recover. Yeah. I mean, they have $70 as their price target, Surratt. Um, they're going to obviously need to bump that up. Investor Day is coming on Valentine's Day. And again, earnings are just in a couple of days, but stocks at the highs of the day. It's yeah. a new record high. Look, 100% up last year, and we owned it. I took some money off beginning of this year. I still think it's a great company, but it's highly valued now. And and to your point where, you know, are they going to return? What are they going to do with their capital? Because originally when the company came out, it was, we're going to be here, we're going to be there. They've got a new CFO in there. Capital allocation is going to be key. Are you returning it to shareholders? But if you start spending it again and going to different areas, that will really concern me. But if you can get the growth in the core business, which they've done a fabulous job of. They're international, unlike Lyft, and they've got these other businesses. So that's where I'm focused on. The 52-week range on this thing is incredible. Like if you, incredible. How many conversations did we have over the last you know, few years where is Uber ever going to get back to its IPO price, yeah. which I think was in the 40s. It was mid 40s. I can't remember. It's 45, 48, something like that. Is it going to get back to this price? And it was like lagging and lagging and lagging. And then once it got there and then broke through that ceiling, holy cow. Well, yeah. yeah and you could see the, the, the momentum building both technically and fundamentally. And, and this is this is a lot about free cash flow and margin improvement. That's the story of the last 12 months for this company. Steve's right, freight's been disappointing, but delivery and mobility have been remarkably strong. And this company's gonna put up 13% revenue growth once again. They have dominance in mobility. Um, if, if we're able to throw up a chart of Lyft and just look at what Lyft has done over yeah. the last five years and what, what is ultimately gonna be the outcome of this company, but it's clear that Uber has dominated. They're the clear winner. So a $70 price target, I could see the stock going into the 80s very easily just on beginning to return capital to shareholders. Right, you trimmed it. I did because I mean I bought it when it was back in the low twenties. My so? position, my position size is too big. I have to be prudent as a risk yes. manager. I can't have it being five percent of my portfolio because my, I have a fiduciary responsibility to clients. I still own it, and I like it, but I just have to be careful because it is also fundamentally now the valuation needs to catch up. Okay, uh, fair point. Fair point. You do what you do. That's how you do it. <laughs> I'm not your compliance, so you do whatever you want. I mean, I am, but I'm not. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> double let, compliance. I'll forget here. that, yeah. okay? On Semi, uh, it pops after earnings. Uh, Joey, you own on. Yeah, it's, it's in the ETF. And, and look, there's not every name that is in the ETF that I'm going to come on air and say, OK, this stock is this stock is something that we feel really confident about its ability to move higher. It has challenges, industrial, 
automotive is still weak. Uh, that was clear in this report. And, you know, I think what this report was, it was a beat and maybe the guidance alleviated the worst case uh, fears. But this stock has a lot of work to do in terms of seeing the improvement in industrial and automotive. NXP reports after the bell today. So you're going to be watching that closely, obviously, yes. to see if you know what happens because you, you got to feel as though it's going to move in tandem with whatever happens here, right? Yes. All right. So we did cat. Let's do Este. It's up 14 percent. Surat, you're looking at this stock. Yeah, look, this is one of those stocks that has been so beaten up. China was big. I think you got a lot of short covering here. They've said we're going to be efficient and cut costs. I think it could be some potential there. Uh, but this area, it's still not a cheap stock. So doesn't Asia have to improve for yes. you? To, yeah. So, I mean, to, the, the whole story for Estee Lauder is, is about China. It's about China. It's about it's about Asia as well. And that's why they're cutting 3000 jobs. Yeah, but there was a nice recovery, though, in uh, luxury retail stocks of late. Yeah. Right. There, there, there has been, there's, by the way, specialty, um, specialty retail was strong within this report, which kind of sets up pretty well for Ulta Beauty when they report uh, coming but up. But their focus in Asia is really hurting Amy, them. Amy, you own yeah. it. You sold it. I, we sold it last May. I'm very happy to get out. We got out at a, at a good price relative to where it is now. The stock's been cut in half over the last year. We put the money into L'Oreal. We like that a lot better. Lower price point, better valuation, better diversity of sales. So um, L'Oreal's been up 20% yep. when this stock cut okay. in half. Yeah. Uh, let's get the headlines now with Bertha Coombs. Hey, Bertha. Hey, Scott. A drone attacked a base in Syria that housed U.S. troops overnight, killing six allied Kurdish fighters. It's the first major attack in the region since the U.S. launched strikes on, in retaliation against Iran-backed militias. An Iraqi group called the Islamic resistance in Iraq claimed a responsibility. No U.S. troops were injured or killed in that attack. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky said he is considering dismissing his top military officer in a plan to shake up leadership. In an interview on Italian TV, he said that he wanted his country to be led by individuals who were convinced of a victory against Russia. Tensions had been rising between the two since June when a counteroffensive failed to make territory gains. And the firefighter who appeared alongside President George W. Bush in an iconic scene at Ground Zero just days after the 9-11 attack has died. Former New York Congressman Peter King announced on Facebook the passing of veteran New York firefighter Bob Beckwith, today saying he was an American icon who represented the best of the FDNY. Bob Beckwith was 91 years old. Scott? All right, Bertha. Yep, Bertha Coombs. Thank you for that. Up next, an ETF edge. More on the chip surge. Bob Pisani standing by with the man who runs the biggest semi ETF, the SMH. First, though, a quick message as CNBC celebrates Black Heritage. I was an immigrant, and we grew up in in public housing. I think there was nothing about my background that it was, would have suggested that I would grow up to become the senior most black professional um, at Goldman Sachs or the second person in the firm's history to sit on the management committee as a black person. But I think um, there's a universality about black history is American history, and American history is black history, and I think there's so much to be learned in that. Let's go to Bob Pisani now, who has today's ETF Edge. Hey, Bob. Hello there, Scotty. Semiconductors, folks, you know they're nearly 9% of the S&P 500. It may soon overtake software as the largest subsector. Strong tech earnings, ongoing AI story. 
again responsible for most of the gains in the major indexes this year. Leading those gains are the semiconductors. Let's talk to the man in charge of the largest semiconductor ETF. That's Jan Von Eck. He's the CEO of Von Eck. Uh, Jan, you run SMH, semiconductor, $13 billion, um, market cap weighted, up 10% this year. You're right at a historic high. But most of the gains are five stocks. Again, NVIDIA, AMD, Taiwan Semi, ASML, Broadcom. It's a narrow rally even in semiconductors. Can you explain this? It's, uh, well, it's, it's because these are the winners. There's only 25 stocks in SMH. And all of them have, you know, basically huge competitive advantages because they're the winners. Like, NVIDIA is the winner in GPUs. TSMC is the winner in fab construction. So um, actually, we use Morningstar ratings. Nine of the 25 have the highest rating of competitive advantage. Nine have the second highest. So the vast majority. So these are the large caps. These are the winners in the space. And they really have, you need tens, if not hundreds of billions of dollars to compete with any one of these. So wide moats, that's the high, very high competitive advantage. Explains. I know you have 25 stocks. Half of them are, are down this year. And big names like Intel, uh, ST Micro, Teradyne, Texas Instruments, they're all down with your index up uh, uh, 10%. On the, here's the big winners, but I want to concentrate on the losers. Half, half of them are down at this point. Well, sure. Um, look, it's a very short time period. What I like to say is since we, took, we really took over this ETF in 2012, this, this ETF is up 12 times in the last decade. So people think about the last year and whatever. It's always been these rolling revolutions. It was gaming. It was, it was crypto. And now it's AI. And you know, it's just driving it. And, you know, NVIDIA is going to sell three times, you know, grow its sales by three times. It's a, just a juggernaut. I want to explain, again, push this in a slightly different direction. The SMH is market cap weighted. So yes. the biggest names like NVIDIA have the biggest influence, up 10%. But you have a competitor, the equal weight semiconductor, XSD. It's down 7% this year and has gone nowhere, zero in the last year with NVIDIA up more than 200%. I guess my, my point I'm trying to bring up is you've got to be very careful what kind of ETF you pick in this kind of environment, right? It's been a 100% point performance difference over the last year. I mean, that's, that's huge. So you really have to look, and that's, you know, that's true about all ETFs, is look at what's inside the wrapper. Yeah, we, again, we're going to go over this in a lot more detail. Much more coming up on where semiconductor investing using ETFs can go and the different kinds you can have out there. That's coming up on ETF Edge at 1.10 p.m. Eastern Time. Jan will be joined by Todd Sohn. He's the head of ETF and technical strategy at Stratega Securities. He's going to talk a lot more about how remarkably uneven the gains have been, even in semiconductors this year. And picking the right ETF really is important at this point. ETFedge.cnbc.com. Scott, back to you. All right, Bob. Appreciate that very much. Bob Pisani. We'll see you then. Coming up, your earnings playbook. We have key names to watch this week. Trades on Eli Lilly, Chipotle, Disney, and more. You see the board. It's busy. We're back right after this. Earnings on deck this week. We mentioned we showed you the wall. It's busy. Last year, last week got all you know got all the play because mega cap tech, but it's a good one this week. Palantir, uh, Joe. That's today after the bell. Speaking of stocks that have ripped, the stock's up 100 percent in a year. It, it you is. own it. Yes, and, and and learning about Palantir. This is the first time I've never owned it personally. 
Um, this is the first time it, that it has been in the ETF. So, you know, we're discovering it, obviously, the momentum is very strong. Uh, but this is about the, the commercial segment of their business. This is about the commercial segment embracing AI. And from what we've heard so far from Meta, from Amazon, uh, clearly AI is, is going to be a significant contributor. So it's what's the strength in commercial AI? That's the most important metric mm -hmm. to look at for this company. Vertex, uh, that's also today. Amy, yep. after the bell. And that, that stock's up 36% in yep. the last year. No slouch. You own that? Yep, it's a great stock. Um, they have a new pain medicine, non-opioid pain medicine that has a big market. Um, their, their cystic fibrosis franchise is pretty much unassailable, we think. And they have shots on goal and other diseases like type one, which is near and dear to my heart and a huge unmet opportunity. Lilly seems to only go in one direction, Joe, and That's they report sure. tomorrow before the bell. New all-time high today for this stock, pushing 700 bucks, up another 4% today, also up more than 100% in a year. Uh, Steve, Steve talked about it. I mean, momentum is alive and well in the market, and yeah. Lilly is a prime example of that. So I won't speak about the technicals. We know how strong they are on the fundamental side. Can they raise guidance and what will they say about Lilly Direct? That will be important. Do you want to take Chipotle too? Because that's tomorrow after the bell. They, they beat 76% of the time according to Dispoke. Also, new all-time high today. New all-time high today. The price hike has clearly been uh, something that has been passed on to the consumers with no concern whatsoever. <laughs> what do they report in terms of, of margins and the brand value in this company is absolutely remarkable. All right, let's jump to CVS. That's Wednesday before the bell. Surat, you own that. I do, low expectations, single digit multiple. You saw what happened to United Health. I think if they can in any way do better than expectations, the stock will pop, but it's still cheap, great cash flow, nice dividend. You want to take XPO also? That's also Wednesday before the bell, yeah. and that's up triple-digit percent in a year. Right. Opposite story of CVS. It's done very well. Uh, I'll be looking at to see what they talk about, supply chain, freight costs. You know, it's asset-like business, so it does really well. And if you have any pickup in industrial activity, they're going to do really well. You own Roblox, too, which is Wednesday before the bell. I Down do. pretty big today. Yes. And I think the expectations there are going to be, hey, what are you doing with your cash flow? Are you cash flow positive? What is usage amongst your um, people who are using it, and how are you going to monetize uh, this brand? Disney, Amy, is this week. Yep. Um, how are you thinking about this stock these days? Um, well, technically, it's starting to turn. It looks better. Um, we trimmed a lot of it last year. We held on to a piece of it. Um, it'll be interesting to hear what they say about streaming and the competition. Hopefully, it's getting a little bit more rational, um, and Iger's um, moving things around. But we'll also hear about the board fight, and um, so it'll be a lot, a lot of news going on. Yeah. yeah. Hey, about, how about Pepsi Weiss on Friday? Uh, are you interested in this name Then looking at it? You know, um, I always look at Pepsi. I always look at Coke because they're just such iconic brands and, and have traditionally been great stocks. Um, I want to hear what they have to say about, about Ozempic and the others. Uh, apparently, it's much to do about nothing. We've heard from the other companies that's not really in affecting consumer behavior. But let's get what their take is because of the broadness of their business. All right, up next, Mike Santoli with his midday word right here, Post 9. We're back after this. All right, we're back. Senior markets commentator Mike Santoli is here at Post 9 for his midday word. And I'll tell you, Jan Hatzius, Goldman Sachs, literally just dropped a new note talking about what we were talking about at the very top of the show. Good news, good news. Yeah. Too good news, maybe not so great. 
And he wonders about that. And he says, are we seeing too much of a good thing? The answer is no, he yeah. said. Um, what are your thoughts about this? I feel like this is now going to be a central argument because I think it's one of the reasons why the market's down today. Yes, it is. Although I would argue that the within the ISM services number, which was very positive, the, the prices paid piece of it probably is what's agitating yes. the bond market. Yeah, I thought so you saw that pretty quickly reaction. You wouldn't there. necessarily say that's outright good news, but I think that it is one of the key tests the market's undergoing is, is its appetite for a strong economy on an ongoing basis if it means a go-slow Fed. Um, and my, I guess where I come down on is if it's good news that's going to be sustained, it's hard for me to see how the market doesn't enjoy it. Sure. Um, if, it's, if it's a head fake, if there's something in the data that means it's kind of a short-term effect, um, then it can create the higher chance of a Fed mistake. And then we're, we're all kind of in, uh, you know, in a little bit of trouble and you're in payback mode. I also think it's happening at a time when, you know, everyone got pretty comfortable with soft landing. Um, positioning has gotten more aggressive, you know, through January. Mm-hmm. And there's probably going to be grabbing at an excuse to have a market that's operating with a slightly, you know, slimmer margin for error to, to have a little bit of a pullback. And where it's really registering, as we keep talking about, is in the breadth numbers, is in the average stock. That is showing you that, that yields have mattered. He also says... So when he when he when he answers his own question yeah. as to why he doesn't think it's you know too much of a good thing to use his words, he says discount heavily the the payroll number because it yeah. was boosted by seasonal factors. Exactly. He says the news on wage and price inflation remains broadly favorable, and year on year core PCE will probably be closer to two percent than they expected uh, by the time of the first cut anyway. And then other central banks, the ECB, BOE, are going to start easing soon as well. Right. So in other words, the trends are in place. Mm-hmm. You can rely on them. Um, he's been in this mode for a little while. I think he went to March as a cut, he, and then he he doubled kind of down on March, on and then he now he says yeah. May, which, which is, is fine. Which he does I, in this note too. And you know, I've been saying it's not make or break March. It's not it's not when or how deep. It's kind of the fact that they're going to be going down as the next move that matters most. You want to comment on that, Joe? As I said, they're not adversarial anymore. And you you point out what what uh, Jan highlights in the note, which is the ECB. And the BOE are also going yeah. to be changing, you know, policy and going to cut rates. And that's going to have an effect on risk assets that's positive. As I said before, like, you know, it'd be weird if you're telling your, your grandkids like, oh, the bull market ended because the economy was too good. Yeah, it was too that good. tends not to be the case. It's only if it's too good. Uh, and then it was actually uh, weaker than we thought. Right. All right. Good stuff. Yeah. I'll see you on closing. Go. That's Mike Santoli. Up next, the trades on two big winners and two big losers in today's session. We're back right after this. All right, two big winners and two big losers. We like to highlight those for you uh, every show. IDEX Labs today is one of the big winners. It's in the Joe T. They reported better than expected earnings. Take a look at that stock up near 7%. You want to give a comment on this as one of our winners today? Fantastic margins, 58% margin. That's an unbelievable story. And it's really the animal health business that's driving a lot of the strong performance. Um, This is a stock that's beginning to build positive momentum. You need to see consecutive quarters of earnings like this to really develop a strong degree of confidence that this is a name uh, you want to have long-term ownership of. Okay, so uh, Catalent was the other one on our list, CTLT in terms of big winners, because Novo Novo Nordisk's parent is going to buy Catalent for $16.5 billion. So Air Products, it's down big. They missed. Uh, McDonald's. Let's think of McDonald's. Amy, what's your read here? 
McDonald's is down on their mixed results. Yeah, no, I think um, they're they're losing share to eating at home. And I think it, it's just a reflection of inflation. Also, international was not great for them. Um, so we don't own the name, not particularly interested in getting into it. I mean, it's a good company. It's his valuation. The multiple. That seems like a Surratt name. Like, why don't you own that? The multiple do you have any history in it? I do. I have a big history. Well, I still own it front. Doesn't it I deserve it. a premium multiple? It's like, it's still like mid-20s, isn't it? It's mid to high 20s. I owned it when it was high, you know, 15 to 17. I think this company is great to own when we are going into a slowdown. We're not there yet. So one of the things you want to be in a company like this is when you know the economy is slowing. But right now, you're, you're just not getting that premium I price. Chart, I mean, the chart looks good. It's pulling right back into the uh, positive slope moving averages. So looks, right. looks like you buy it. Final trades just after this break. I hope you join me on Closing Bell, 3 o'clock Eastern time. We got Morgan Stanley's Eric Woodring. He covers Apple. It's his first interview since the earnings report. You'll definitely want to see that interview. Uh, Bryn Talkington with us, Gabriela Santos, Amy Kong as well. So I'll see you in just a bit. Uh, a couple hours time for there. Uh, Steve Weiss, final trade. What do you got? Alphabet. Today is a great day for it. So maybe the bottom's been reached on this one. All right. Surat. PayPal. Earnings coming up. New CEO, new CFO. Want to see what they have to say. Amy. Fiverr. Um, small cap. Profitable. We think it's misunderstood. Joe T. Strong buying in Apple during our show. All right. Well, it sets up well for their Woodring interview. Uh, we'll see all of you then on Closing Bell. The exchange is now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. All opinions expressed by the Halftime Report participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Halftime Report participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Halftime Report disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Halftime Report Disclaimer.